Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. You are listening to the Happy Market Research Podcast. I have two amazing women with me today, Katrina Noel, as well as Janet Standen. And if you're involved at all in the Bay Area and user experience or qualitative research, you know both of these women's names pop up a lot. Ladies, thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. Glad to be here. Thanks so much for inviting us. Today, almost everyone has taken surveys, but did you know that SurveyMonkey offers complete solutions for professional market researchers? In addition to flexible surveys, their global audience panel, and research services, SurveyMonkey just launched a fast and easy way to collect market research feedback with seven new expert solutions for concept and creative testing. With built-in customizable methodology, AI-powered insights, and industry benchmarking, you can get feedback on your idea from your target market in a presentation-ready format. Oh, and by the way, in as little as an hour. For more information on SurveyMonkey's market research solutions, please visit surveymonkey.com slash market-research. That's surveymonkey.com slash market-research. Support for the Happy Market Research Podcast comes from FuelCycle. This episode is brought to you by FuelCycle Ignition. Ignition is the agile insights platform that enables leaders and their teams to improve product, brand, customer, and employee experiences with no insights experience required. With FC Live virtual focus groups and interviews, an ad effectiveness solution, and survey automation capabilities, FuelCycle Ignition offers the only all-in-one Agile Insights ecosystem for supercharging the relationship between brands and their customers, and serves the world's most innovative brands, including Google, Hulu, Tufts Health Plan, Kahart, and more. To learn how Ignition can take your research to the next level, visit FuelCycle.com. Scoot Insights is the name of your company. Give us a little bit of context around what it is that you do. Yeah, well, thank you for kicking off with that question. So, well, Scoot Insights, we were born about five years ago, although between Katrina and myself, I, I don't know how many years experience we've got in qualitative research, but let's just say a combined sort of 50 years, something like that, and we won't divvy up. Who's got most of those? <laughs> no, <laughs> no math, no math. Um, but uh, yeah, so I think it, it's a very Bay Area company in terms of how it was created. There was a need. And that need, we were increasingly asked to just do things, you know, a little bit more efficiently and more effectively than perhaps the more traditional qualitative methodologies allowed for, where, you know, it used to be a sort of seven to eight week process. And, and what we had to do was deliver within seven to eight days half the time. And so, you know, Scoot Insights is all about driving sort of discussions and directions and making decisions with client teams. Uh, we integrate with the stakeholders as part of our process. But most importantly, what we do is, is bring the sort of voice of the user or the customer or the consumer to the, to the party and manage that end of the process and then integrate that learning and understanding with the sort of stakeholder knowledge and expertise and experience. And ideally, all in a one-day process to try and be as efficient and, and uh, effective as possible, making sure by the end of the day, we, we've got a sort of decision made that all the stakeholders uh, have been a party to coming to, and that it's born of, you know, the, the customer understanding or the audience understanding. So 
give me an example of a, a particular research question that you've helped customers answer. Well, so it, it literally, I think that's one of the things about being a broader qualitative researcher is it's so broad. It could be, we really need to understand the positioning of our brand versus some competitors that have come into our space. Or it could be, you know, to do with a sort of design development. And that could be packaging design, or it could be the user experience design of a website. And we need to make sure that we're as effective as possible for our end users. It could be advertising testing. It could be literally a sort of shelf set test or trying to understand the behavior of a shopper in a particular type of store or when they go online. So there are so many different questions that we have the luck to try and help our clients answer. Uh, I don't know, Katrina, do you want to add any more to those? Yeah, I think what what the commonality is, though, with the Scoot Sprint approach is it's making a decision. So whatever question or area of the business that it may come from, it's about decision makers wanting to make a decision, but doing it with the voice of the consumer in the mix, right? Not leaving that out. So when people book us, it's typically around some sort of decision. And I know that still sounds, you know, vague and open-ended, but, you know, the world of qualitative isn't always used in that way, right? A lot of it is exploratory research, kind of understanding the customer, building personas, that kind of thing, which is all great stuff. But usually when Scoot Insights steps in is when there is a decision to be made, and the voice of the customer needs to be integrated or understood to help the stakeholders make that decision. Do you have a favorite story of how a customer, you know, took some knowledge that you gave them and then had a oversized return? Well, Janet, do we tell our favorite story? Do we tell do we do the, do we do the video <laughs> game story? I mean, I like video games, so I feel like yes. <laughs> I feel like it's just a really good encapsulation of like why not to move ahead without customer insights. But Janet, you were you were the key lead on that, so uh, I think sure. you should tell I, it. You know, there was a, a you know a, clearly the big sales period. If you're a video game uh, company, is is the sort of run up to to Christmas, and there was a big decision to be made about which music should support the ad that they developed for the launch of this game. And, you know, to them, it was super important. There was a big discrepancy between what the ad agency thought the answer was and what the client team thought the answer was. So in a way, we were brought in to help make this decision between, you know, a more sort of upbeat type of music to maybe a more somber type of music. It was a first-person shooter game, so it was, you know, upbeat, one way of putting it. But it seemed like a simple decision. So we started asking, you know, some gamers and users and people who were aware of this title, you know, their thoughts about it. And we played different versions of the ad with the different music. And very quickly, it became apparent that there was some deeper thing going on about the sort of the reference point of the setting of this game, which had actually been shot in Eastern Europe. And, and they'd had this famous film director involved in it. And, you know, it's huge investment in creating this ad. And then it became apparent that some of the American consumers were sort of uncomfortable of the setting, which to them looked like a college campus. And it hadn't been shot in a college campus. And so suddenly the discussion you know, pivoted quite dramatically to be about the setting. And one of the great things about being a good listener in Qual is knowing what it is your, your people you're talking to actually want to tell you about rather than only answering the questions perhaps that you think you wanted to ask them. 
And it became apparent we had a far greater issue. This seemed like a sort of college campus shooting ad. And thank God the whole stakeholder team, everybody was there. And we very quickly pivoted the research to discuss more, you know, without leading the witnesses about where they thought this was happening and the particular story in the ad. So uh, to be honest, by the end of that day, you know, the team had to make a really important decision to actually pull that ad and not go with it for the launch of this game because the reputation of the, the parent brand could be at stake. And the week the ad would have been launched uh, was actually the week of the Bernardino shooting, which I know. And it just would have been a complete disaster to the brand. So that's that's a perhaps an extreme example, but sometimes really, truly, we can save the day by really listening to you know what people are saying. And often there is an objective or a question that you know the stakeholder teams think they need answering. But often the richness is is in what we learn around that specific decision as well. So that's just one example of that. I think that's the one Katrina was referring to. Yeah, I mean that's that is absolutely brilliant. All right, well let's let's switch gears a little bit. Actually, before we switch gears, I, I want to in just in the last week I've had conversations with four people in Consumer Insights and primarily UX actually, and they all talked about the importance of starting broad in a conversation and then getting more narrow. So starting macro and then going micro. And the reason why is they said that when they start at the kind of getting to the diagnostic questions quickly, then you immediately lose the context and you might be talking about the wrong stuff. And so I actually am going to use this story. Everything I'm saying is going to get cut out, but (laughs) I'm going to use this story in that particular episode because I think it's like such a great practical example of how had you actually started with maybe more narrow questions, you would have potentially missed the broader implications of, you know, what it is they wanted to tell you. Yeah, no, exactly. And that's, and you have no reference point or context. If you don't start with broader questions, you don't know how, where to fit the specific questions into. You don't know what landscape you're looking at it against, even from like a individual standpoint, from that participant, if you don't have context, you can't match it back. Gosh, I really want to talk about that more, but we don't have time. So (laughs) (laughs) what we do want to talk about today is two different disciplines. One is a, I consider an entry or a recent emerging, massively growing space. So you have market research, which is kind of like the established in the golden days of radio, really. And then you have user experience, which uh, has started material, I mean, coming up everywhere in the last, I want to say five years, but I've probably just been blind to it before then. That's the topic of our, of our chat today. Can you tell me a little bit about your backgrounds, uh, both of you ind- individually, in terms of if you started in market research and then how you were exposed to user experience? Yeah, so I, um, I mean, I call myself, I'm sort of an insights and market research lifer, right? I really, I have, <laughs> I came very quickly to working in market research. I think I was in marketing for maybe a year and a half until I saw someone do consumer research and realized you didn't have to poke people with a stick. You could like be a feedback loop instead and have sort of firmly <laughs> been entrenched in market research ever since. It's true. And I still say that to friends and family who don't know what on earth I do. I say I run companies that provide a feedback loop for clients, like in its essence, right? And so, yeah, so I came out of the entertainment space and, you know, have, have worked on agency side and then in my own agencies ever since, really. Oh, and I, my background is a little uh, broader initially. I was a, a brand strategy and innovation person, and my 
my world was filled with product development and, and the experience that people had of using products and developing new products for people. And, you know, it was back those days, uh, there wasn't the sort of the world of technology that we have today. So I think it was it was born more out of the CPG world, the, the consumer packaged goods world. And I, I actually ended up working for Nestle for a number of years in innovation and then had a strategy and innovation consultancy in London before moving to the States 20 years ago. And I honestly think that, yeah, market research was the sort of granddaddy of it all just because it was around for a lot longer. And the, the companies like P&G and, you know, they, they were using consumer understanding and really trying to understand their audience needs a long, long time ago. And that included pain points and what job a product was doing for a user of the product. And I think, you know, all that's changed really is in the last sort of 20 years, technology and the internet and, you know, websites and apps have just become part of our world. And that has become even more prevalent in the last, you know, five to 10 years. And I think it's just that that industry has created its own equivalent to market research that happens to be born out of the need to really understand the user. And most of the tech companies that I'm familiar with you know, started often with a sort of software engineer who had a personal need and knew how to develop a, a product or an app or a website that could actually deliver against it. And they did it because it was their passion project. And then they perhaps realized that maybe it wasn't meeting as many user needs as they thought it might. And they started doing their own research. And, and then suddenly this world of UX researchers started to become a real need. There became some value in actually asking users what they needed or wanted or what pain points they had. So I think the two have a very similar parallel, just one's a little bit older. Sometimes we say when we're having this conversation, because this is a conversation that happens a lot in the Bay Area, especially with people who are younger and trying to get into the business. And, you know, we get a lot of contacts from people, you know, how have you guys done it? How can we do this? And asking us what all these job titles mean, right? Why are there so many? And it all sounds like they do similar things. And so kind of unpacking that, I think... I mean, I have been known to say you can have a user experience with a coffee cup, like an experience is an experience with something in the world, right? And it has sort of gotten this technical veneer put on it because of what Janet said, that's sort of how it was born. But if you think about it, in essence, we are having experiences with any brand or product or service in our life, really. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. So let's let's talk first about market research and then we'll talk about user experience research. So when you think about market research, and I'm, I'm talking in this case qualitative because I feel like it's more there, there's much more overlap there. So in, in a qualitative market research project, who is the buyer, the internal stakeholder, and then what is the expected research outcome? I mean, I think the buyer really is any brand or company that has a product or service that they want to investigate, right? So that is it's very broad and anyone could be interested in getting research done on their product or service. In terms of the internal stakeholder, we usually work with either an internal consumer insights person or the marketing department or the product team, anything. And those job those titles and functions are getting a little fuzzier too, right? Um, we've just been known to ask now, oh, and, and do you work in this space, right? Because we've got some really creative <laughs> company functions now, naming-wise. But usually there's some sort of marketing focus and or an insights function if the company is big enough to have one, right? And so then they are expecting, right, from their qualitative research provider to 
be given some advice, recommendations, and direction for whatever business decision they are making, right? So they, we, you know, agencies like ours are brought in to help them understand their target audiences better within the specific business or research objectives that they give us to work within. I mean, at its very sort of basic level, I think. Break it down for me just a little bit more simply. If you think about like the buyer, and I get that you know at a at a corporate level they need to have funds and have product and buyer and customers, but like who inside of the company is actually doing the like job title or function, doing the commissioning of the research? So I, I'm going to just. I'm not going to say it simply, and I apologize for that. <laughs> I think, I think um, what we, what Janet has sort of, I actually, when she was on a panel with you, used the phrase precision qual, <laughs> and I actually really think it's so right right now. It's whoever within that organization notices a gap in knowledge. So historically, we did these big. We have no idea who our customers are, right? These days, all of these companies have huge amounts of data. But there are gaps. There are ways in which they don't understand their customer. There are, you know, questions that are raised by data analytics. And so often that is when an agency in the qualitative research space is brought in to answer, to go find out that answer. But I would say, I don't know, Janet, if you have any specific job titles in mind, but I notice there's usually the word marketing in something or the word insights in something. Yeah, I mean, I, I also could be the CEO, to be honest. A lot depends on the decision. I was thinking, you know, the project we did where a company was thinking of buying another brand and, you know, the board were going to make this decision and they had a lot of research and data brought the decision. But the actually, I think that was the marketing director, I think was her title on CMO, had this sense that it just was not a good fit from a brand point of view. It wasn't going to be worth the investment. And she asked us to do a deep dive into this other brand and their brand to understand what the sort of relationship would be between the two brands if they were owned within the same portfolio by this company. And that was incredibly valuable. It really threw up. They would just be stepping on the toes of each other. This new brand wasn't going to be bringing any equity that didn't exist. Indeed, it would, you know, would almost be dangerous to their core brand. So on paper, financially, the board were ready to make a decision. And then we did this day of research and we had the head of R&D and we had the head of marketing and we had a couple of other board members there. And very quickly, they realized that from a brand perspective, this would not be a smart investment. So that was definitely a sort of led by the director of marketing. But, you know, the, there was the C-suite definitely present for that piece of research to get a sort of a consumer perspective on the issue, which you wouldn't necessarily think was an opportunity for qualitative research. That makes a lot of sense. So let's shift gears a little bit and now think about, I say shift gears a little bit, maybe it's a lot. That's the whole point of the conversation. User experience research, right? So give me a sense of the persona or personas there in context of who the buyer is, then the internal stakeholder, in other words, the person that's leveraging the insight, and then an expected research outcome. Yeah, I mean, I think the, you know, the core buyer, if you could name one, and maybe it is a little simpler when you get into UX because it is more focused. It tends to be the director of product or you know, the product manager. And then, you know, the team might have the character, the sort of internal stakeholder team would be much more likely to be made up of a data scientist, software engineer, UX designer, and the UX researcher's role is to bring the, the sort of, you know, the voice of the end user into that mix to answer a particular question. So the sort of cast might be slightly different in that particular scenario. But sometimes if it's a really important decision, you know, it, 
could it also bring in the director of marketing and the CEO of that company as well? And often, you know, it's a small startup and a founder is playing a number of those roles. So it, it does get messy even in, in that world. I think the difference is, it, you know, product is the focus where it's user experience more often than in, you know, the broader context of market research where it can be brand positioning and communication and competitive context. And in product terms, you're starting with the performance of a product or a service and understanding, you know, what features are working better for people or how the product is performing and how to make it better. I think, therefore, it does have a tighter focus. And I think of market research as being a sort of the granddaddy or the broader umbrella. And UX is one part of that broader market research sort of world. And I think of the market as being the people who may buy your product currently or may want to buy your product if they were lucky enough to know about it or your service or become a member of your club or or whatever the area is. And I think product and service design is a core part of that often. So I see it alongside sort of CX research or human-centered design. You know, it comes in or design research would come within it as well. It's all part of the umbrella of market research because if you're not developing and designing for your market, your end users, your end consumers, your customers, then I don't really know what you're in business for. And maybe a non-profit is slightly different, but or a university or, or some sort of association like that. You might have a, an even higher calling as to why you're in business or why you exist. But in general, it's about meeting the needs of your your end users or your target audience. Right, which is kind of getting to the the crux of the question, because if I own a market research company or a user experience company, or I'm managing my own career inside of a brand, uh, it's important for me to understand you know, how I need to position myself uh, in context of achieving my overall goals. And so I think about like with your company, it feels like you're addressing both independent markets. Um, if in fact they are independent, they are independent from a budget perspective, maybe that's part of the narrative. Like, what are you seeing as the areas of overlap within the two disciplines, market research and user experience? Well, I think there's a lot of overlap. I mean, I guess uh, Katrina may answer this differently, but I mean, you know, both disciplines need to understand what the question is they're trying to answer. So you start with the question or the objective. You both have access to sort of quantitative and qualitative and primary versus secondary research to try and answer that question. Um, Both have a very clear focus on their audience, whether they call them a user or a consumer or a customer or a member or an employee or whoever it is. You know, that focus on the end audience is, is very common to both. I think, you know, both use mixed methods or, you know, whether you call it hybrid methods or multi methods, you know, you design a research approach that you believe is going to answer that core question. So I think where market research tends to answer a broader range of questions, perhaps, broader context, as Katrina was saying before, UX research just has it slightly more tightly defined. And I think there is a lot of overlap. There's where there's maybe greater differences is in the specific language used to describe certain things. I'm involved in this UX lexicon that's been driven by Michelle Ronson, bless her heart, for doing this on behalf of all of us. But, you know, where we're often trying to you know, define a, a word or a, a piece of terminology and we're discovering that you know, we just have different words for the same thing. And that depends whether you come from a sort of UX technology background or whether you come from a sort of consumer 
product background. I mean, it's true. It, there's so much semantic difference. And I, you know, having conversations with folks who do work more primarily in other parts of the country, I notice a little bit less differences. There is something to be said for the fact that in the birthplace of tech, you know, some some of this has evolved independently without knowing that the other industry existed <laughs> for a little while. What I notice in terms of a difference is the concentration of the fieldwork, of the interview, of the experience of conducting the research. And I'm going to put a very big caveat on this that every company does this differently. So this is a very broad answer that may not apply to all practitioners. But that there is a focus on the thing, the experience, the product, the app, the device, whatever it may be in user experience. Whereas in market research, we tend to, as a usual rule, concentrate on the person. And that's just a slight difference, but it's like kind of a focusing difference because in market research, like, yes, we want to know if the thing works for the person, but we also want to know all of the context around that person and their needs and their unmet needs and what surprises and delights them and what ideas they have for improvement and who they are and how this fits into their life, right? It's kind of, it's that broader, bigger context. Whereas I have noticed in user experience, there is a concentration on getting this experience right right, rather than addressing the needs of the consumer as a whole. So again, that is a very sweeping statement, but I feel like when you get into the research itself, the focus can be different between the industries. Yeah, I think the truth is we have so much to learn from each other, just, you know, where you're coming from. And, and that's true of UX researchers and, you know, broader market researchers. We often have very diverse backgrounds. Everybody's come from sort of different roles in different places. And actually, you know, being able to go to college and do a degree, anything that leads to UX research is a relatively recent opportunity, whereas sort of market research has been in the sort of world of universities for a long time. So one is newer than the other, but boy, do we learn so much from each other. And actually a number of, you know, our qualitative colleagues who perhaps been come from that more traditional space often are now working inside companies as UX researchers and bringing their broader qualitative skills to the UX world. So I, I think the crossover is, is going to get greater and greater. And, you know, the great news is we can all keep an open mind and, and learn from each other. And I think things like jobs to be done, you know, it's just such a great concept, right? But that didn't start in the world of tech, even though a lot of UX researchers will work with jobs to be done. That started that broader needs and motivations uh, started in the sort of CPG world, but it's now being applied really effectively within the UX world. And that that crossover, I think, is going to get you know, more and more. Yeah, I definitely agree with you in terms of the crossover. Part of it, the crossover, like converging, I think, is centric to discovery of each discipline. So I don't know if this is actually correct, but an observation I've had uh, is that it, it feels like, you know, product really didn't understand or know about market research or have access to market research. So they just kind of started doing user experience research, kind of, and then it this like birthing took place. And then similarly, right over in market research, we kind of like, we're like, oh gosh, that looks a lot like what we do. But to the point, Katrina, that you made, the nomenclature is very different in both disciplines. And in nomenclature, we also see that that embeds in it culture. And the cultures are also very, they seem different to me as well. Can you talk a little bit, if, do you, well, I mean, first, do you agree with that? Yeah, but I think, I mean, like, how cool is that? Right. In its essence, two different industries at different times decided that putting the user of the thing at the focus was a good idea. 
like that's great. <laughs> we can we can talk about naming all we want, but the fact that you know there are multiple people and industries that want to put the customer first and see value in that. Like, sorry, I just wanted to pause for a minute because that's that is awesome. That's a good thing. <laughs> a- it makes smart business sense, right? To put to put your user or your consumer at the heart of of what you're doing and. Yeah, I agree. It, you're right. That's the essence of this and both industries, wherever it's come from, have, have recognized that. I mean, I think what's interesting, if you look back at the history of market research, you know, if you were working for a Nestle or something, to make a product change was a massive investment. It used to take two to three years. If you're going to have change parts on a production line, or if you're going to try and get the shelf space in a grocery store and knock something else out to get the shelf space from somebody, you didn't make any decisions lightly. You really listened to your the needs of your users and consumers all the way through. Whereas if you know you have an app and it's a bit of software coding and you can do it in two or three days, why not just do it and try it and see if it makes it better for the users? So you know, speed is very different. And what you're actually working with to make change, to try and meet the, the needs of your users better, is a, that's really the biggest difference in the equation, I think, for me. So going back to the example you gave at the beginning about the video game that was misunderstood, yeah, right? Would you classify that as user experience or market research? <laughs> well, it was certainly a user experience in terms of use, users of the advertising. And, you know, those big aha moments can come. I mean, you know, we, we did a similar thing for a, a water jug manufacturer. And that was about the user experience. And, and this product is the biggest in their sector. It's been around for years. And in the research program, which was not what we were there to look at, when people were handling the jug, there was a real awkwardness about the way they had to hold it with two hands every time they used it to be able to pour this thing. And, uh, you know, the designers behind the mirror for the first time ever really got why there was a real need to change. And the design shifted to be about the design of the whole thing, not this one feature that we were there to actually research because they observed firsthand the awkwardness of their product. And nobody really done that sort of analysis of the way people were holding it before so yeah user experience is you know we you we all use things or consume things or buy things or choose things or experience things the whole time and whether that's a service or a product or a tech app of some sort you know we're all in the business of, of trying to make things better for our end users what I will say though is that this is this is then part of the problem because I think the answer Jamin is that it would have been a user experience project or a market research project, depending on who was in charge and what agency they hired and what that agency called what they were doing. So sometimes it's, and keep in mind, we're also in an industry that we get requests for surveys and they don't mean that, they just mean some research. So we already are in an industry of language confusion and we usually start most calls. People will email us and, you know, this is what they would like. And we say, can you just tell us what that means to you? How, what does a survey mean in your organization? Oh, we just want to talk to some people. Great, we can do that. So I think like in terms of lexicon and word choice, we are all in our industry used to asking for clarification, asking for how that company defines what they mean in that area, and honestly, building a research program around it, right? Designing something with the best methodology in mind, kind of almost regardless of naming, it's not like there is a very clear landscape in which user experience has confused. It's already a bit open for interpretation. 
I mean, I love that. You know, how often, Katrina, do people come to say, "Oh, I need some focus groups," and then you and then you realize that they actually think that market research is running these sort of eight to ten person focus groups. And Katrina, I look at you and we haven't run one of those in in like eight years. You know that they just. I think if you're doing creative concept generation or brainstorming with a set of consumers, great. You might want eight to ten people in the room, and you know you'd structure it in the way you would if you were doing brainstorming with a stakeholder uh, group of some sort. But the majority of the time, you're trying to you know get really the insights from a few people at a time. And I do think that is a difference between market research and sort of UX, where UX tends to talk to only ever one person at a time, unless it's some sort of creative concept creation workshop or something. Whereas we will actually value the in-depth understanding of each individual, as well as valuing, allowing for group discussion to happen. And group discussion is sort of best had with three or four people at a time. And so these smaller mini groups are definitely the essence of getting some in-depth understanding from individuals, as well as allowing some free-flowing conversation and see where it sort of takes people. And that's where you get these aha moments of big reveal where People, you know, you let the people decide what what matters to them and what they're going to talk about with each other. And the role of the interviewer or the moderator changes depending on whether you're asking some very direct questions or whether you're actually trying to open things up to to allow free-flowing discussion around something. No, I was going to say that's one of the things that when I meet a UX researcher who's grown up in UX, they have this like expression of, I don't know how you talk to a group of people. Right. Like, wow, you guys talk to one more than one person at a time. (laughs) And it's just so interesting that that feels like such a big difference. Whereas for us, we just walk into the room and however many people are there at a time, (laughs) one, two, four, six, whatever, you know. So it's kind of interesting. That's often like a big learning curve in people in UX who are trying to get into a bigger market research role is, is understanding that group dynamic component. Two last questions on that. One is, which jobs and there's outliers here i realize that the old adage averages are stupid because on average everybody's a millionaire when bill gates walks into a bar (laughs) right so that's not what i'm trying to get to but just like from a from a broad perspective market research versus user experience does one of those two job functions pay more inside of the corporation do you have visibility in that (laughs) It's been so long since Janet and I have had a quote unquote real job. Do you know, Janet? I don't know. I have no actual visibility of that at all. I have. All right. You're the wrong people to ask that job, that question. If we find, if we found out, it might be depressing. I don't know. (laughs) I'm sure it wouldn't be. I will say that I think, you know, to be a really excellent market researcher, where you have this much broader perspective, you've probably done many more types of job in, more you know, different categories and your learning evolves and grows across all the different things you've been involved in and you bring that knowledge and expertise to the table. Um, if you're a UX researcher, you tend to have worked focused on product, you're applying your skill sets to a new product category. And actually, Jamie, we were on a panel together last year at Facebook. I don't know if you remember that. And at the end of it, a number of younger UX researchers came up to me at the end and said, my God, I'm just so excited because I'm in my third UX 
research job. And I'm just wondering where I go next after this. But it sounds like I can apply the skills I've learned as a UX researcher to a much broader range of things. And I'm like, hell yes, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome aboard. Arms are open. But, you know, that's a really good point, Janet, because like if you think about from market research, if you're going to get high up in an organization with a market research function, you need not only knowledge of UX, you need qualitative, you need quantitative, you need data analytics. And, you know, big data has given a whole other skill set being necessary within market research function. So that probably is true. That is, you know, that that is probably a progression or a growth. And you're more focused on the broader business objectives, right? So what are the goals? Right, the right. So you've got to understand how the business works, what matters, what impacts what, what the return on investment is going to be. Whereas I think with UX, it tends to be a little more focused on product, which of course is vital, but it's one part of the bigger, you know, it's one piece of the puzzle. So I think, you know, UX often is filled with a lot of younger people as well who are learning the trade. And it's a great way to learn qualitative and quantitative skills because you have a clearer focus of what the specific is that you're trying to make a difference on. Whereas market research can get a little fuzzier. It gets a little broader. I think that's why, you know, sprints, you know, the sprints that we run at Scoot Insights have a greater impact because it's often a really big, important, hairy question that needs to be answered. And we bring such a breadth of experience to the way in which we tackle that question. And it's seldom is it just focused on product. It tends to be product as part of a bigger understanding of the brand, its role, how it stacks up against its competitors. And I'm seeing more of this now in the UX and product world as well. You know, you can you can sort of work out which are your strongest features till you're blue in the face and fine tune and make your features better uh, and make your product better. But in the end, the value of what the, your brand stands for and the emotional relationship that your end users have with that brand is starting to matter a lot. And if you're Box or Dropbox or, you know, Google Drive, how do consumers, how do end users choose between one or the others of those when they're all offering very similar feature sets is starting to matter more. And I think that's where sort of brand and the broader market context is actually beginning to really impact in the sort of user experience world more than it has in the past. My guests today have been Janet Standen and Katrina Noel, Scoot Insights. Ladies, thank you so much for joining me on the Happy Market Research Podcast. Thanks so much, David. You're welcome. Thanks for Absolute pleasure. Everybody else, if you found value like I did, please take time, screen capture, share on social media, Twitter, LinkedIn, tag me. I'll repost and give you a gift. I promise. Have a wonderful rest of your day.